Good morning, church family. If you would like, you can turn with me to our scripture reading for today. It is from Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jamie. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad there are a lot of kids here today, too. You know, you've got kids' notes. Down in the front, it says, who is preaching this morning? And it looks to me like you're to draw a face. (laughs) Doesn't it? So I'd be very interested to see what that looks like after (laughs) this morning. Uh, If if you want to, right along the bottom, you can put Don Bartimus. You've seen the main passage that we're going to be studying today. God is a compassionate God. It's the reason why any of us are here, and all of the ministries of College Park Church have compassion as a key facet, key part, but I'm privileged to be the pastor of the ministry titled Compassion. So I get to wake up every morning thinking about compassion, get to go to bed every night thinking about compassion, and I usually wake up sometime in the night thinking about compassion. The conclusion I've come to is I love the people of College Park. I've watched you, I've seen you, I've watched God mold and tenderly and sometimes toughly make you what he wants you to be for the gospel. I've seen you go through some amazing circumstances and come out knowing more than ever the love of Christ. Now, many of you are involved in uh, Compassion Ministries. And today, since I'm the Compassion Pastor, Tammy Gant, my assistant, is manning a table out in the atrium, and you'll see three different areas at her table. One is the, if you want to volunteer to be part of our ministries, she has information there. If you need help, if you need our ministries, the people of College Park Church to come alongside you and care for you, sign up there. And then if you need prayer for anything, um, you'll see after this morning what I think about prayer. So... We're glad you're here. You know, often you don't get to see all of the events of Compassion Ministries. You hear us praying for people and so forth. But I want to tell you one story. This is one of many. A week ago tomorrow, Tammy took a group of 35 or 40 people who have special needs children down to the zoo. Special needs people don't always get to go to the zoo. And so this was a special occasion. So it rained. And God stopped the rain just as they all got together there in the zoo area. 
just stopped it. Now, that's not a big surprise to us. We're grateful when God does those kinds of things. It's another miracle. And then it stayed overcast, which is important, especially to some of the children with special needs who are in wheelchairs, and they can't get overheated. They get very ill. And then as they finished their day, it began to rain again. God's in all of this. But as she came back and Madonna Brindle came back and told us some of the stories of, of what happened to see Anna Hunt feeding a giraffe and riding the, the roller coaster or something to see little Anna Shushka on the, on the train that went around. Although apparently if you've ever been on the zoo train, you basically just see weeds and flowers and so you don't see any animals but but Anna was having the time of her life and and usually that can make her feel a little bit ill and she was just fine the whole way so uh, those are the things you people do in compassion ministries thank you for doing that let's pray Lord you're gracious beyond anything we can imagine it has been so good to worship it's the third time I've gotten to do pre-sermon worship today including the practice and to think how we belong to Jesus and when the billows roll we can be still and know that you are God the billows are rolling but you are God I thank you I thank you that you've given us this text today you are in the business of changing our lives by changing our minds and changing our hearts. We want to be changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now just before I get into the text, I want to say that um, I noticed these kinds of things, the kids' notes, because I was children's pastor here for so many years. I think it was 18. And God is good, and I am so grateful. One of the best ways I'm known at College Park Church among hundreds and hundreds of children is I'm Mrs. Cheryl Bartimus' husband. Because she had so many of your kids uh, in uh, the preschool for all these years. And that I take as a great honor. 36 years we'll be married next week. And God has been good every single one of them. She's a, she's, she's a great treasure, a great joy, and is a, and a, a, a real example of what we're going to see in the text today. I'm also grateful for uh, Pastor Vrogup, who has... Uh, led us properly. I'm grateful to Bill Dinsmore, another one of our pastors, who filled it, backfilled into the children's ministries until such time as God miraculously, and I still shake my head every time I see David Michael walk in the hallways of College Park Church. You don't get this, but children's ministry people would get this. You have who on your pastoral staff? David Michael, he and his wife wrote the book, basically, uh, that we use for our curriculum. So, okay, all that out of the way. Have you ever found yourself thinking something like this? I could really, really be happy if only my spouse were more supportive. I could be successful if my boss would just stop micromanaging me. I could be fulfilled if people would just see what I have to offer. If my folks would just get off my case. If I could only find and marry someone who loves me, loves the Lord. Well, 
we, we find ourselves incapable of changing situations and circumstances, and every single time you'll be frustrated if you try to change somebody around you. So is joy or peace and life out of reach? Is it hopeless? Well, the book of Philippians has been making the point all along that joy and peace are never out of reach and never hopeless. It's written by a man that the church of Philippi first met outside a jail cell with his back bloody and bruised. And now he's writing to them from another jail. See a pattern happening? In fact... If Paul had wanted to, if he had used the world's mindset, he could have said, I could really do great things for God if I could just stay out of prison. And people would stop hitting me with sticks and stones, not to mention shipwrecks and snakes. This book is going to show you how to have peace and joy no matter, no matter what the situation. I promise you, if you get this, I promise, if you get this, it makes all the difference. In the world, looking at life from Christ's perspective will bring true joy and peace. Now, I want to say this. Try not to say everything twice, but I'm going to say this one twice. Listen, if you want the perspective of Christ, you need the mind of Christ. If you want the mind of Christ, you must be consumed by prayer. It's a syllogism. If you want the perspective of Christ, you need the mind of Christ. If you want the mind of Christ, you must be consumed by prayer. It's about perspective. It's a particular way of looking at things. In Philippians 4, verses 2 through 7, again, I, I mean it. This will change your life completely. If you see things... From Jesus' perspective in a me world. Now, if you have the wrong way of looking at life, you move in the wrong direction. A lot of us have been caught up in World Cup, haven't we? Haven't you? Probably don't even know what offsides means. But you're excited about that game going on. (laughs) And many of you saw the bite heard around the world. Luis Suarez bit Giorgio Cialini in a soccer match in a World Cup tournament. Giorgio said, he bit me. You can see him showing. (laughs) And Suarez, try to say this with a straight face, said, basically, his shoulder jumped up and hit my tooth. (laughs) We all look at things from different perspectives and point of views. Now, actually, Suarez, it was a third time that he, his teeth got hit by somebody's shoulder. Do you see what that can do to relationships? Multiple people seeing the same event and seeing virtually opposite versions of the event. Same thing. (laughs) Different viewpoint. Man on an island sees a boat. Man on a boat sees an island. The recurring theme in this book of Philippians is the mind of Christ, the perspective of Christ, how you're going to see things from his point of view. And what gets in the way of this? My perspective. This text illustrates a point of view that is the mind of Christ. But first he's going to show us a vivid example of the me point of view. And then we'll see how to look at it his way. The frustration of a me perspective. This perspective called 
caused Paul to make an unusual call out of two of his side-by-side co-workers, Yodia and Syntyche. Now, I tried to say, okay, how, how could this relate to College Park? It would be if Pastor Mark, on his time away of renewal, were to write a four-page letter back to College Park Church. And he's going through different theology and exhorting us to have the mind of Christ. And off he goes. And then page four, he says, um, he starts off with love. He says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. Then he says, please, Joe Bartimus, please, Don Bartimus, get on the same page and agree. And Bill Densmore, help them. <laughs> Might be a little inside joke. My brother serves on staff here as well, and it's been a joy. Our lives went this way and that, and we get to serve Jesus in the same church in different ministries. Bill Densmore is our overseer. Bill, help them. Oh, boy, that would stop us in our tracks. That would be job one now. Now, he gives no more specifics in this. He doesn't say what Joe is doing or what I'm doing. Everybody out here realizes, of course, that it has to do with whose grandchildren are cuter. But uh, it doesn't go beyond that. And, in fact, Mark doesn't need to say that because what he is saying ultimately is does not matter. What you're doing and what you're doing, get your minds together for the cause of Christ. And Bill helped them to see the big picture and adopt this attitude. You know, just looking at their names, Euodia means sweet journey. And it could be that she saw as the purpose of that church, the mission of the church in Philippi, would be to help itinerant preachers and missionaries with offerings and lodging. Boy, that would be sweet. And it could be that Syntyche, whose name means fortunate, saw others who aren't quite as fortunate. And maybe she led a ministry that fed people with the food and with the gospel. I don't know. Neither one of those are wrong, are they? They're both good. But somehow they had lost the mind of Christ in it all. Well, since Pastor Nate used Bachman-Turner Overdrive, and my brother, it's a group. It's a musical group. Uh, And my brother used Chesapeake Bay Blue Crabs a few weeks ago, and Andrew used the Beverly Hillbillies song. Let me quote the Beatles. Some of the words of a song that I heard in preparation for today. You run the, and I hope this song doesn't stick in your mind. <laughs> you run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Think of what I'm saying. We can work it out and get it straight or say goodnight. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short. And there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. I've always thought it's a crime. So I'll ask you once again. Most of you can fill in the blank. I think it's a joke. I think it's a, a brilliantly hilarious song that these guys put together. It's Life's too short to keep fussing. So I'll ask you once again. Try to see it my way.
And yet I believe that that's the way the world looks at things, isn't it? If you could just see it my way, it would be okay. They'd have nothing more to argue about. Try to see it my way. Yodia, please, he says, Yodia. Please, he says to Syntyche. Use please in both of their names so that they couldn't look back and say, he was saying you were more at fault than I was. Keep the mind of Christ. And I'm saying, please, College Park Church, keep the mind of Christ. How is your communication with the people around you? How's your communication with your spouse, with your boss, with your children, with your parents? Do you get frustrated with those who don't see it your way? Stop it. Stop it. There's something more important here. What you think, what you want, how you see it is not important. The mind of Jesus is important. It's the same word used in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, saying, have the same mind Agree in the Lord. It's the silver bullet cure for division in relationships and churches. Have the mind of Jesus. And perhaps Paul, if he were to come back and sing that song, he would sing, please, Euodia, please, Syntyche, see it God's way. Time will show that he is right all the time. While you see it your way, the fact is things will fall apart before too long. God will work it out. God will work it out. Now, with this illustration that Paul uses here, he also makes some connections. He wants Zizekus to help. Now, you can look forever and not see Zizekus in your Bible because for some reason, the translators of most of our texts took his name out and translated him instead. And he said, yes, I ask you also, true companion. It's Zizekus. Call him by his name, poor guy. Um, Why in the middle of naming all of these names would the all of Sudden use a description instead of a name. Would you try to see it my way? It's Sisychus. Help them. And in doing so, Paul gives the authority to Sisychus as though Mark would give the authority to Bill Dinsmore. Help them. And that added to his authority and it added to what Paul was trying to say to them. And then he adds some more of history that is going on here. And he says, true companion Zizekus, help these women who have labored side by side with me. So there was a personal connection in ministry and in faith and in the gospel with Paul and these women. And they've done a great job. He doesn't say they haven't. They've labored with me in the gospel together with Clement. Here's another person to call on to help. And the rest of my fellow workers, all of the people who are involved are now called to help whose names are in the book of life. It's interesting he puts that in there as well. Because if your name is in the book of life, my name's in the book of life, you're going to have to get along with me for the rest of eternity. You might as well start now. The book of life is that important. And I think he's taking it here and he's saying, I'm telling you, it's bigger than what you think. And your perspective doesn't matter. Jesus does. And he's the one who puts people's names in the book of life. That's what matters. Isn't it interesting, though, how things get so discombobulated? And it's because of the frustration of the me perspective. And it's very, very real. And it's the first thing my mind goes to. What do I want? How do I feel? What do I think about it? Instead of, dear Jesus, what should I want? What should I think about? What should I do? Now, 
So I ask you one more time. Try to see it God's way. Verses 4 through 7 are going to be next in the fulfillment of the Jesus perspective. And this is where I want to spend much, much more of our time today. Where he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And we all should be going, what? Wait a minute. Paul, you're a prisoner. The first time we met you, you were a prisoner, broken and bleeding. There were two times that the jailer met Paul that night. One was when he brought him in and put him in the stocks in the middle of the prison after being beaten. The second time he met him was after the calamitous earthquake that shook that jail, opened up all the doors and knocked the chains off of all the prisoners. Why do you suppose the jailer went to Paul? What was different about Paul than all the other prisoners? And you can just kind of imagine in your mind, there they are saying, it's one of my fault, I was framed, we got slop for breakfast again, slop for lunch again, slop for... And they're all grumbling and growling and complaining. And there in the middle of the prison, the Apostle Paul is singing and praying. And he's the first guy that the jailer went to when his life began to fall apart. You get it? When you have a Jesus perspective instead of a me perspective, you have everything in the power of God to show a world, here's how God wants me to handle it. And people will come to you. And it will say, how can this be? And you'll have the answer. And he t- so he's telling them, not something that he doesn't do. He's telling them to rejoice. And I believe with all of my heart that it happens best and most clearly when things are bad. When things are tough. You get a diagnosis. You lose your job unfairly. You get lied to. You get hurt in your soul. By loved one turning on you. you know, just this past week, a good friend of mine, who's gone to church here for 20 years or more, Bob Waite, showed up in his office and he died of a heart attack. He just died. And, and then the week before, Officer Wren and his family, and a whole city is rocked by how can this be? How is is evil winning? No, it's, a, it's not, by the way. Evil's not winning. And we pray for all of those of you who are peace officers and first responders and firefighters and those in, in authority over us. But those are the times where it is best seen because you shouldn't be rejoicing at that time. And yet you look at this from Jesus' perspective and Paul's words are rejoice in everything. Always. And I'll say it even twice. Rejoice. So what do people see when they see you? What do people see when they see me? What situations do I find myself in This morning I used a roundabout and it seemed to connect. Uh, where I come from, not too many roundabouts. Where I'm now from, there are roundabouts everywhere. And it still seems as though people have not figured out how to get through the roundabouts. <laughs> so, 
I can either, and I've done this repeatedly. What, were you, were you born on another planet? It's round. You go around. <laughs> How hard can this be? Go around. But if that's the perspective of me, I want to get through here, and I'm smarter than you, and much more intelligent, a far better driver. If you would just watch me, you'd learn this thing. Isn't that true? My pride, my selfishness kicks in at roundabouts. <laughs> now, just if you were to just take that situation, whatever, and translate it into whatever yours is, in the checkout line, and they've gotten the price wrong again, and... In, in somebody who pulls up beside you and sneaks in and cuts in line of, of some kind of a loss that you're feeling. And if you could instead take the mind of Christ. And now when I come to roundabouts, I pray. It's one of my best opportunities to pray. <laughs> I look and I see somebody's going voot and stopping and voot and stopping and voot and stopping. And I'm saying that person's not from here and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Lord, Lord, help them get to where they're going safely because if it's up to them. It's not going to happen. Do, do you see how the mind of Christ takes over? And you can pray for people and care for their souls and desire the best for them in a situation where lots of other people are honking their horns and getting all upset. But you're not. And it just could be that you'll see that person later. And it could just be that that's a neighbor or a friend or you'll see them here at church. And they'll be able to say... I know I, get, I know I, I struggle a little bit, but you are so kind and you let me in. And what, how do you do that? And you say, because I have the mind of Christ. And in that situation, I'm just for you. And, and what are they going to do? When they go through a tough time, they're going to say, that's the mind that I want. So, lest anybody think that Paul's lost it a little bit when he says... Rejoice, And again, I say rejoice because he's in prison right now. But from his mindset, he's got these men that are captive audiences and they're spreading the word throughout the Praetorian Guard. Remember Philippians 1. That's the mind of Christ. Not he's in prison. I'm stuck to these guys. They're going to get the gospel. But don't think he's don't think he's crazy because he says, verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Boy, I'm going to do this quickly because we need to get to the bulk of this. He dispels a notion that this is crazy because he's talking about reasonableness. That's moderation, forbearance, gentleness, sweet reasonableness. It comes from a word meaning yielding, not insisting on one's own legal rights. Meekness may be how I respond to life from the inside. This gentleness is how I respond to you on the outside. That's how God wins people to the cause of Christ. And then he says, the Lord is near. What's that about? We've been, it's just been flowing through the text and, and through the songs that Jesus is king. Jesus is coming back. That's what this is about. The Lord is near. His coming is near. Let's get more people into the kingdom. If it means smiling at a little bit more, being nice in public, that means something. But it also means Jesus is right near me. He's with me. So when I go to those roundabouts, I can say, Jesus, we got this, don't we? You, you're going to help me with this, aren't you? Let's pray for her. That's somebody's loved one. Let's pray for him. That's somebody's kid. Let's pray for them that they get somewhere that they ought to be. Okay? 
And then, then you move through, the Lord is near. And now here's where he brings it all together in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's a perspective of prayer. I want to tell you this. If you don't get anything else, and kids, I hope you can write this down. This text is about having the perspective of Christ. If you want the perspective of Christ, you've got to have the mind of Christ. If you're going to have the mind of Christ, you've got to be consumed with prayer. Don't be anxious about anything. What are you anxious about? You could tell me. Those are those things that are just all over you and you just can't get it off of you. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. Your future, your next job, your next meal. Don't be anxious about that. How am I going to get along with that person? I don't even like them. Don't be anxious about it. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let's go through those one at a time. In everything. That means everything. So let's move to prayer. This is our lifeline to God. The actual word means face to face with God. I'm talking to him and it's my breath. And as much as I breathe, that's how much I pray. You've got to be overwhelmed and consumed with prayer in everything. And he also talks about supplication. Usually there's a child crying. Not today. That would have been perfect. Because the cry of a child that says, I need something, and screams, almost sounds like, ah! I need, I don't even know what I need, but I need something. And so they scream and they cry and it gets your attention. That's what God wants out of you and out of me. And supplication. You get it? God wants to hear that from us. And then with thanksgiving, and I'm almost at the point, I've been, I have been trying and pleading with God to teach me how to pray and what prayer is all about. And I think this is big. I think this is big. If I go into prayer and say, I hate this trial you put on me, God. I hate the trial. I hate the boat it came in on. I hate it all. I just, I hate it all. I don't have any gratefulness. Then we might as well not even start into prayer. Don't expect that any of this is going to produce the desired effects. But with thanksgiving, our minds begin to change, don't they? When I'm grateful that I'm alive and well and and not hurting and I can go into my car and I can get someplace so, so thankful. Now, if you have the mind of Christ, you will be consumed by prayer. Why do I say this? In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find 15 different instances of Christ praying. In the book of Luke, 11 of those instances show up as well. Luke shows Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. So he's saying, as men, as women, you need to pray. The only thing the apostles ever asked Jesus to teach them, Lord, teach us to pray. At his baptism, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when Jesus came out of the water and as he prayed, the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. And the father said, you're my son. I'm well pleased with you. While he was praying, this is the son of God. 
Whenever his disciples lost track of Jesus, they go to one of his favorite prayer places. There he was. When Judas went to betray Jesus, went to the place of prayer, he knew that's where he'd be. The last words Jesus said on this earth before his crucifixion was, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. He prayed, prayed all the time. He was consumed by prayer. If you want the perspective of Christ, you must be consumed by prayer in everything, all the time. And I started this by saying this will change your life if you believe this. It will. I guarantee it. I promise. It's a practical formula. And this is what it produces. Verse 7. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The shalom, the peace of God. Now, before we move into a conclusion this week, uh, I want you to know that we're a church that um, we pray. We get together and pray. These are some of the corporate things. I think this is a bulletin insert. We'd love to have you at any one of these events. I want to add a couple. There's uh, ABFs, Adult Bible Fellowships, pray. And each one of our missionaries has a Barnabas group that gets together and pray. If you want to know about any of these things, give me a call. We can help you with that. Two Mondays ago, we fasted and prayed for Baher. And he had no seizures for six days while he got into rehab and got things going. That's not an accident. That's prayer. We, and many of you are beginning to sense, if I get consumed with prayer, something changes in me. It's not the circumstances. In fact, it might, they, those might get harder. But your purpose for God on this earth through tough circumstances will be fulfilled if you get consumed with prayer. I also um, have done a few prayer pointer Documents and they're out at the kiosk at Compassion. If you don't know how to start, you know, you hit a certain age, you wake up at night. You can either wake up at night and say, well, I'm a certain age and I hate waking up at night. Or you can pray. <laughs> and a person once told me, pray through the alphabet. Start with A and what God is doing, B and what God is doing, C. And you get to D and you're asleep. If you wake up again, start again. But maybe start with E instead of A. Or you just keep going through to A, B, C, D. Uh, I've got some more of those out there. Just consume yourself with reading. I've also got some books that uh, are out there on a book list. They'll help you. But I want to give you a personal example right now, and it's from Bess Malik. I asked her if she would write up something for me today that she's learning because of her prayer life through a storm, through her husband going through undiagnosed, and they're not even sure how to treat a seizure disorder that he just woke up one day with. In early April, this is her writing about the days prior to Baher's illness. In early April, what seems like a lifetime ago, and this is Bess Malik, I had an idea for our prayer time at the Oaks Academy, and I needed someone to paint a tree. I needed a visual for the stark contrast painted by Jeremiah 17 that was on my heart. I sensed that my roots were not reaching as deeply into the soil of prayer as they once were, and 
Because of this, I was not seen well spiritually. And I was at the risk of becoming one dependent on mere shallow strength. And Jeremiah, these words are too small to read, but here's what it says in Jeremiah 17. Cursed is the strong one who depends on mere humans, who thinks he can make it on the muscle alone and sets God aside as dead weight. He's like a tumbleweed on the prairie, out of touch with the good earth. He lives rootless and aimless in a land where nothing grows. So the art teacher at Oaks Academy obliged my request and created a thing of beauty, not a dry tumbleweed, but a tree, large, leafy, bending near the water, one with roots that go deep into the source of life, a picture consistent with Jeremiah's call to create a wide place to drink of the Lord. And the following week is when I found myself tacking this same picture up in Baher's hospital room. And as I planted myself next to his bed to wait on the Lord, I found myself praying in a shocking new season of need. Prayer is the means by which we plant ourselves in the living water, the way of thoughtful, continuous dependence upon God. It should be our Christian lifestyle in all seasons. And prayer must be established in the times of abundance so that our roots are in place for desperate seasons of drought. Spoken by a woman who's in a desperate season of drought. Get ready now. Remember the questions I asked at the beginning of today. If I could really be happy if my spouse were this or that. I could be successful if my boss would stop this or that. I could be fulfilled if people would just see me. If mom and dad would get off my case. If I could meet the man or woman of my dreams. With Christ's perspective, we can let go of all of that. Let it go. But I might lose something. Let it go. I want my way. Let it go. But they need to say sorry first. Let it go. They took an attitude with me. Their tone of voice wasn't right. They treated me wrong. I deserve to be happy. My way is the right way. Let it go. Let it all go. The perspective of Jesus. You'll have the peace of God. And that's what it's about. In 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about reconciliation. The love of Christ controls us. And Christ, through Christ, God was reconciling himself, the world, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Are you reconciled with God? That's the first question to ask. He paid for your sin. He's offering you reconciliation and peace. You need to receive it. I plead with you to receive it today, this morning, right now. And then we are ministers of reconciliation. And we love each other and we see things from Christ's perspective. Lord, thank you that you have given us this text that changes everything. And I plead with you, Lord, teach us. We want the perspective of Christ. And in order to get that, we need the mind of Christ. In order to have that, we need to be consumed by prayer. It's that easy. It doesn't happen any other way. There's no plan B and there's no step four. Perspective of Christ from the mind of Christ being consumed by prayer. Lord, help us not to count trespasses against others. Christ Jesus, you did not count ours. Because of that, we have eternal hope in heaven in the book of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you. Have the mind of Christ.